my name is Paul McGinty. With me are Ian Sharpley. Hello. And Matt Cassell. Hello. We are recording Monday night, October 7th. Uh, tonight we're going to do a little favorite favorite comic book writers. Favorite. A little extra R in there for you. Uh, favorite writers tonight. We're also uh, going to do a little housekeeping with Ian Sharpley because that's how we like to kick things off. Ian, go. Uh, this podcast is going to be 15 minutes long. <laughs> yeah, it really is. We're at a loss for uh, information. Don't tell them today. that. Oh, uh, did I spoil it? They can't tell by <laughs> our voices already. Our voices that you can hear at mixsauce.com on Wednesdays. Check out the new podcast. You can also go to mixsauce.podomatic.com. You can find us on Stitcher Radio. Probably the easiest way is to go to the iTunes store and download us. Subscribe to McSauce so that you never miss an episode. Rate us and review us because you love every episode that you've heard so far and in the future. And I think that'll help us, uh, I don't know. We, 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 we're never sure of I guess what it's, rate review does. I guess it's good for iTunes and whatever they do with that information that you can't do it twice. You can't put two reviews in for Because you would just have people clogging up the stats and, and making it not a true evaluation of your talent. Right. But don't you think that they should be allowed to review each individual episode? Yeah, I think so. It would be difficult for the rating system. I don't know how they would do that. Maybe it's time to get, uh, get a letter together to send to iTunes. Who's the best writer amongst us? I don't know. It's not me. I'll tell you that. It's not me either. It's probably Paul. He's our best writer. Which, coincidentally, what is tonight's episode about, Ooh, guys? Ooh, look at that tie-in, folks. Tonight's episode is going to be about our favorite comic book writers. Um, is there something happening at the Oaks this week? There is, but we were tying in first. This week at the Oaks, 21 Nights of Fright at the Oaks. That's a fantastic postcard. It, re- it really gorgeous, is. Gorgeous postcard. It, seem, it seems like a handsome man designed <laughs> this postcard. It reeks of handsomosity. It really does. This week, Wednesday the 9th and Thursday the 10th, Frankenstein, the original mm. Frankenstein, I'm assuming. Have any of Matt? us seen yeah, Frankenstein? Yeah, it's the original. I saw it. Yeah. I've never seen it. I ain't got time for that, Jazz. It's hard for me to go back year like that far back in film history and watch stuff and enjoy it i think i i I think i would watch it and probably enjoy it same with the old the old dracula i think that's a lot different than going back and and reading old comic books i want to say that i saw bride of frankenstein at some point though Hmm. so i don't know why i watched them out of order but i remember that yeah the uh the frankenstein the original frankenstein I saw it about, I don't know, three years ago. Didn't really hold up. I was pretty bored by it, but I also saw right around the same time the original Dracula, the Bela Lugosi Dracula. From, I don't think I've ever seen that either. I want to say 39, something like that. And it was pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I was regretful that I couldn't make Dracula last week. Yeah. Um, or Army actually, of Darkness last week? I was there. Were you? Yeah. A few of our fans said that they were there. They didn't see you. 
Let's call them out. Of course, it is two different days, so maybe they went on a different yeah. day. And it's dark. It's a it's a darker it's one of the darker movie theaters. Um, they turn the lights out. I think it rated ten out of ten on MovieTheaterDarkness.com. <laughs> ah, so you know, I hadn't seen that movie in years, Army of Darkness, and I don't remember it being. I remember it being really corny, but not quite that corny. Did that bother you that it's corny? I feel like you like corny. I do like corny, but it it's really out of step with Evil Dead 2 and certainly Evil Dead 1, which I don't even consider that as part of like the overarching story because Evil Dead 2 is kind of a remake of Evil Dead 1. I didn't realize they were all connected. I saw Army of Darkness first and had no idea they were even <clears throat> it even had anything to do with those other movies I, I just thought oh another Bruce Campbell movie I also saw Army of Darkness first and didn't really know later on found out that yeah. they were and, and I didn't really understand why they would <clears throat> remake Evil Dead you know Evil Dead 2 is a remake of Evil Dead 1 almost it yeah. seems weird yeah. I, why did they do you know no I don't no. I, I know that it it's different though it's it's got a different vibe than Evil Dead 1 Evil Dead 1 is <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. It takes itself very seriously. It's it's a horror movie. Evil Dead Two is still a horror movie, but it's got a kind of a tongue-in-cheek kind of sense of humor. Army of Darkness is almost just a comedy. It's very little fright factor to it. Um, it's got certainly more action. It's more action-packed, but it is chock-filled with one-liners. I mean, I've never heard this many one-liners since I saw Arnold Schwarzenegger in Batman and Robin, <laughs> and I am not exaggerating. And and luckily, Bruce Campbell has way more charisma than than Arnold is Mr. Freeze, so it worked. But it was still like... Do you think overall he has more charisma? Because I would fight you on that. I think that Arnold has <clears throat> more charisma overall. Um... Why would you say that? Because I like his movies better. You like Arnold Schwarzenegger's movies <clears throat> better than Bruce Campbell's movies. Yes, maybe because there's more of them. But Arnold Schwarzenegger doesn't have to be charismatic in any of his movies. He, You have to be charismatic whenever you're fighting an, an alien, a predator, if you will, in the jungles of, I think it's Brazil, is it? Do you feel that Danny Glover is charismatic? More so because I enjoyed that <laughs> Predator better. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. You did not like I Predator Two more than Predator One. It was great. Do you, you feel nuts. Adrian Brody is charismatic, but not as much as Danny Glover, nor as much as Arnold Schwarzenegger, or Bruce Campbell? No, Bruce. No, Bruce Campbell has a high. Bruce Campbell has that that swagger. He has swagger. I'm Arnold Schwarzenegger denied. doesn't have. He that. doesn't have Arnold Schwarzenegger doesn't have swagger. No. Swagger nader. Um, <laughs> Arnold Schwagger nader. Arnold Schwagger nader. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I liked it. <laughs> See, I the when I think like of charismatic actors, charismatic characters, I immediately go back to Han Solo. The way Harrison Ford plays Han Solo and Indiana Jones, those are charismatic characters and an actor. And I can't see Arnold Schwarzenegger playing Han Solo or Indiana Jones. 
that's weird that, that that's your gold standard. Like, do you take other actors and you're like, all right, would he be a good Han Solo? And if not, then that's it. You don't have well, any I don't think it's swagger so much, I don't or think charisma. It's so much of a stretch to see Bruce Campbell playing a Han Solo type character. Just like Nathan Fillion played Malcolm Reynolds, who's essentially Han Solo. Like there's, they, di- there's different levels of swagger. There's different types of charisma. You can't just box it into one tiny little thing. Smugglers are very charismatic, so Arnold, but that's the Arnold only... Schwarzenegger has uh, Sarah Connor killing swagger. Yes, yes. Come with me if you want to live, swagger. That yeah. was a pretty dope line. Yeah. Hasta la vista, baby. I just Dripping watched with that charisma. a few weeks ago One for the first time. One. One. From One's... start to finish, all the way through. Yeah. And I didn't realize Come With Me If You Want to Live was also used in the first one. By Kyle Reese. Right. Who is the worst actor I have ever fucking seen? <laughs> Holy shit. Michael I don't know B. how that guy got got more jobs after that. Did he get more jobs after oh, that? Yeah. I don't remember anything I don't think he got many, else. Holy shit, is he bad? He's in Planet Terror. Of course he is. One Pla- of, the, one of the two Grindhouse movies. Oh. Did you like those Grindhouse movies? Are you kidding? I love Planet Terror. Did you also like Death Proof? I did like Death Proof. I like Death Proof too. But I like even Planet though Terror like better. half of it was just the camera going around the table and watching chicks talk. I still liked it. Yeah, yeah. There's a silliness to those Robert Rodriguez movies that's kind of like Army of Darkness. Oh my god, am I excited for Machete 2. Oh, Machete, Machete Kills. Machete Kills. I, am, I can't yeah. wait. I am, I am fired up for that. Are you excited for that, Matt? Yeah, when does it come out? Uh, like October this... 11th. So that would be Friday. I'm also it's excited Friday. for the Carrie remake. But we can get I'm into that, for that too. at a later Halloween podcast date. I would say Chloe Grace Moretz has swagger. Maybe even a, a two I can see her part. As, yeah. Maybe even a two part Halloween podcast. Mm. 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 Sounds scary. It's haunted. <laughs> <clears throat> Sound the the scary time Tober podcasts, copyright McSauce, two thousand thirteen. Oh, in your face, Lynn. <laughs> also playing this weekend, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Now <laughs> to get in. <laughs> Now to get into Matt this week. you're an idiot. You didn't find that amusing I, I know. I know the salty look on his face, but that's okay. If, if, no, no, no. Let me, let me clarify that. Do we want to talk about Beetlejuice? Because I love Beetlejuice. Yeah, that's cool, but is the housekeeping music going to play through all of oh, this? Oh, I don't think so. You, you can fade that out okay, pretty early. So it's been over for about five minutes now. I think when we started hardcore talking about swagger, you can so, cut it off. Arnold Swagginator. Arnold Swagginator. <laughs> now, Dwayne Johnson has charisma and swagger. He does. He does. Uh, but I think that Arnold has similar traits. I think it's hard not to like Dwayne Johnson. I think it's easier not to like Arnold Swagginator. Why do you say that? Because a lot of people don't like Arnold Schwarzenegger. That's the correct. But that's also reason. that's also that's also tying, you know, political agendas and things like that to it. 
So does it help his swag cred? No, but I'm, I'm, I'm discounting. Nanny? I'm discounting. I'm Is discounting. Is he still able to be in movies? I'm discounting personal life. I'm only going with film roles. Oh, no, no, I'm going all. I'm going the guy. All his entire everything. His entire life. Hugh Grant swagger because he True. fucked that that yeah, prostitute but, and then he bounced back. He did, but people still don't like him for that. How can you not like Hugh Grant? Well, love you. If you're somebody that doesn't like prostitutes, I'm not saying I also that. Also love prostitutes. Huh? Yes, I'm sure you do. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that some people don't, and they don't like that. Matt. Hi, Paul. <laughs> so, so tonight, we're gonna talk a little, uh, a little writers, some comic book writers. That's, who we like. That's why we gathered around the table. I'm sure, we're gonna touch on who we don't like as well. Writers wise, writers not just wise. people, in not general. just people, not like our coworkers and no. things like that. No, not not like Dom Yossi. Writers, writers, books. writers. We don't like Dom Yossi, and or he's a coworker of ours. We work with him on the Mix Ups podcast. Mm, I don't think of this as work. I think of this as just fun play. Play. Are we not professionals when we show up around the microphone? We certainly are, sir. So who wants to go first? Favorite writer? I think Ian wants to go Top first. Top three? Favorite. Why don't you give us like a, a number three writer? Who do you enjoy? I like Kevin Smith a lot. As oh, a nice pick, Kevin Smith. Wow. That's, right out of the gate. That's Guns seems... blazing. Are you serious? Or Yeah, I'm serious. Yeah, yeah. I, I like Kevin Smith. I like... Um, we've talked about it before on this podcast. Hey, how... look, just because I have a pair of rose-colored sunglasses that occasionally I like to wear indoors doesn't make me a douchebag 24 Oh, snap, that reminds me. Um, the results of who is the douchiest on <laughs> the McSauce podcast are in, and the results were a landslide. One vote was for all of us. One vote had... Something to do with rose-colored sunglasses inside. That was for you. Thank you. And then the rest of the votes were for Paul McGinty. Wow. Oh, nice. So, congratulations. Congrats, Paul. Wasn't even a a fair fight. Thank you. I appreciate your votes. I have a lot to live up to. Want to keep this high standard of douchebaggery excellence? So, So there it is, ladies and gentlemen. Good job. Well, you got... I you thought still, for sure it was going to be Matt. I'm kind of surprised. I thought... Didn't we say it was me? I was pretty confident it wouldn't be me. I'm, I'm not too... The voters are probably taking the overall McSauce experience into account, not just last episode. Or because you we were probably... the Ian was probably the douchiest last episode. I think they were going with... Some, some people referenced exact moments from that episode when you were... The douchiest one moment was whenever Dom was rating the McSauce by numbers, like two, four, three, one. Yeah. And you claimed not the number one position, and that voter said that that made you the douchiest. <laughs> Your arrogance. So, that's that. Fair. Fair. I am the number one position, but fair. <clears throat> sure, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, Kevin Smith, 
I talked about it a few times on this podcast, how I thought he, he brought something to comic books, uh, a, a seriousness from outside, people outside the industry. He was a real famous director at that point, um, had a lot of Hollywood clout on his side and could have done anything that he wanted to in the late nineties. And one of the things that he chose to do was to go with something that he always loved, which was comic books, went and wrote, um, the Guardian Devil arc on Daredevil with uh, Joe Quesada. That was such a big deal. It was a huge when fucking When that deal. fucking came out. I can remember. I couldn't wait for that issue to come out. And it was my freshman year in college. And I had a night class that Wednesday night. And I, and I took that comic book with me to class. And I kind of like read it during class. I like snuck it in my book. That's the end of that story. Hmm. I love young... Young freshman year, Matt. I want to go back to the early LaRoche days and yeah. see you in, uh, in class reading comic books. I sat in the back. It was a really crowded class, you know, so if you got there late enough, you could just sit in the very back and kind of like just blend in. Nobody really kind of saw you. It was a really stupid. It was my communications class. Couldn't tell you a goddamn thing that Did they tried to teach Did you ever fall us. out of comic books? Like no, no, never. You you were not pretty even consistent. a little bit. No, not no. even a little bit. I fell out pretty hard in between ninety seven, ninety eight, ninety nine, and I think that Guardian Devil was one of the things that got me back, back into in. um, you know typical superhero capes yeah. and tights stuff because they had fucked around with the X Men so bad. Spider Man kind of was doing some weird stuff with the clone saga. Yeah. Um I didn't really like the way that they were taking the direction that Batman it was I think it was um might have been Night Quest and all that stuff was happening. No, that was before that. You, before I think maybe, maybe that, that just soured me. No, no Man's Land Catalyst. M- maybe yeah, maybe it was that stuff that I just wasn't really invested in. Which I own the entire run of on the on in the uh in the Ginty library. library. I read it whenever we were at um, working together at the publishing company, you I, you were collecting it, and I didn't I didn't like that era of Batman because there were too many characters. He wasn't solo anymore. Like it was just he, so many people were working with him, and like they knew he was Bruce Wayne, and just just too much. So you like when Batman operates alone? I like him a little more solo. How I do you like... feel about him in Justice League? Justice League's fine, because that's a whole different thing. But when he's Batman and Gotham... When he has the Bat family, and it's it's more than just him and Robin rolling around. Or yeah. even him, Robin, and Nightwing. Yeah, him, Robin, and Nightwing. That's pretty much where I draw the line. Who's Rob? I said Robin. Robin. Oh, they said him, Rob, and Nightwing. Robin and Nightwing. Oh, you just kind of... I put it all together, Robin and, and Nightwing. That's okay. Yeah. It's like peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> So, did you like Kevin Smith's runs on Batman? Cacophony and the Widening Gyre? Yeah, I did enjoy that. I I think I liked his Green Arrow stuff even more. And that was all... I'd say Green Arrow was right after Guardian Devil, kind of in that that frame right there. Yeah. Yeah, Um, that was the next thing that he did. I never liked Green Arrow as a hero. That got me into that character. Um, Kevin Smith is a big DC guy. Uh, he always liked DC better than, than Marvel as a fan. So that was probably a really big deal to him to get to, after he did Daredevil, transition over into 
doing Green Arrow. Yeah. And it was just one step closer to doing Batman, which I think is his main passion. Yeah. Matt, did you read those two trades? Which two? The Green Arrow, Kevin Smith trade, Archer's I, Quest. No, I only I only sounds read Sounds of Sil- or Sounds of Sound of Violence. Sound of Violence. Yeah. I only read maybe the first two issues of it when it came out. It didn't quite grab me the way that Guardian Devil did, so I didn't stick around. But um, I know this is the writer's podcast, but do you think maybe that also had to do with the art because Phil Hester is super different than Joe Quesada? Uh. But that's more in your wheelhouse. Phil Hester's art is, you know, crisp, clean, um, kind of animated series style. I'd yeah, I really say. like Phil Hester's stuff. Although I would take Joe Casado over Phil Hester. For some reason, I thought you were you didn't like Joe Casado. I don't like him as an editor at Marvel, but yeah. I love him as a penciler when he can get his shit done on time. Yeah, man, you can really tell when Joe Casada is like pushing that deadline because his shit is sloppy. Yeah, yeah. I'm He's, sorry. Um, Brad Meltzer wrote Archer's Quest. Kevin Smith did Quiver and Sounds Quiver. of Violence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's okay. That's what you said, though. You no, said the first two trades. Archer's Quest. You said oh. Archer's Quest and Sound of Violence. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought you said Quiver. Don't want to mislead the, the listeners. That would be douchey. Anyway. <laughs> Joe Casada brushing his pencils. Look like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. And Joe Casada was a artist that I know this is the writer's podcast, but Joe Casada was notoriously late. He was always known to be a late artist. Um, back to his days on Ninjak for um, Valiant Comics, Ninjak. and he was so <laughs> slow on it that Ninjak I, I, I might be wrong. Awesome though, it did. It was awesome, but I, I could be wrong on this. But I feel like his reluctance to get his shit done on time actually got him fired from Valiant. Cause Probably because he, he didn't last that long on the book, even though I think it was a huge seller. Well, he and he went from there and he bounced on. He did his own stuff. He did Ash. Do yeah, you remember he did. that? I think it was Event Comics. Uh, I don't know if it was Event. That sounds about right. Um, but yeah, he did a book called Ash, which was a superhero firefighter character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Looked cool. Looked cool, not Wasn't interesting cool. at all. Yeah. I think he was I think he was the writer on that. So him that and would, Jim Palmiotti, is that how you Jimmy Palmiotti, Palmiotti, I think I, I'm certain they were, they I'm were pretty certain that. he did the inking. I don't know who was the writer, but if it was Joe Casada, then he falls squarely into the not one of my favorite writers camps for this podcast. Yes. So um, Kevin Smith would be for, for the the quality of his work. And the impact that it had at the late nineties would be, you know, in, in there in my in my top three. I'll say top three. What else oh, has he written yep. outside of those two Batman miniseries and then his short runs on Green Arrow and and Daredevil? There, got, well, there was another Daredevil Daredevil um <laughs> <laughs> Is it time? Um, he wrote. He wrote that he never finished. It was called Daredevil or, or Bullseye. It was a Bullseye, like one shot. It was supposed to be a mini series that he never really finished, mm-hmm. and I think that's what eventually got him. 
fired from Marvel or blacklisted from Marvel. Oh, is he blacklisted? Yeah, I think so. Really? Because weren't him and, and Joe Quesada like really BFFs? And... Yeah, but you can't be fucking years late. And he also did... At Marvel, you can, especially when the editor-in-chief is Joe Quesada. I think he's... Bla- I, I don't think that he can work at Marvel now. I could be incorrect, but I think so. That's it. The other thing well, that Well, Kevin, he- if you're listening, and we know you are, write in, let us know, because we're Call curious. in. We, we'd love to talk to you, man. Yeah, we'll do an interview <laughs> if you're interested. It might get you uh, some extra publicity. It will guarantee get you 10 extra people... <laughs> That aren't currently listening to your work. Um, but one of my uh, other favorite things that he did was uh, Spider-Man Black Cat. The, oh, the, that's right. I think it's the evil that men do or something like that. It was a mini-series. Yeah. It was a... With uh, the Dodsons on art. Yes, yes. The Dodsons hooking that. What a that. great team that is. That's, that's a, it was a beautifully written book. Wonderfully illustrated book. Very fucking late. And the thing that I remember most about it And it, it was, was only three issues, right? Uh, you would think. It actually was like six. But okay. this, is, this is why you think it's only three. The first three came out pretty steady, you know, month to month. The third issue came out, big cliffhanger. The villain of this book had Black Cat, you know, in a room. And they insinuated that he was going to rape her. And that was the cliffhanger that they had... Um, at the end of that title, and then from issue three to issue four, I want to say it was at least a year, maybe a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And for so, in my mind, Black Cat was getting raped for a year. <laughs> well, that got that got changed between that cliffhanger issue and the next one that came out. I haven't read it in a while. Mm-hmm. What what did they uh, what did they change? In between that year, they. They made him change it because uh, that was the that was what it was. I mean, she was drugged and unconscious, and she was going to get raped. And then they they made him write it differently. Whenever he finally finished the series, to kind of get away from that. Because I remember we were working at the publishing company, and mm-hmm. I remember reading it and being like, "Holy shit, you got to check this out!" They're raping people. Yeah, it was good. It was a really good, really good story. And I, I feel like after because that the story of him having to change. The, the rape in there not that I want Black Cat to get raped in there but like there was enough negative press around him having to change it that when the, those final issues came out coupled with the giant wait for it it just seemed to tail off at the end like there was all this excitement it was really good in the beginning and then it just kind of weren't one of the great things about those issues was the way that he wrote the interaction between Peter Parker and you know Felicity Felicity Hardy I thought that it was cool that you could see him dealing with an ex-girlfriend in sort of a work environment, superhero work environment. Kevin Smith's known for his dialogue. Great dialogue in that book. He's also known for his kind of relationship-centric storylines ever since Clerks. True, true. Were you always a fan? Are you a fan of Kevin Smith's? Uh, Yeah, yeah, I am. Uh, I admit that I think the guy's in love with his own words, kind of cut from the same cloth as maybe a Brian Michael Bendis. However, I just prefer Kevin Smith's storytelling approach to a Brian Michael Bendis. Kevin Smith has more of an edge to it, I think. He has more of something that I... I don't know. He always throws something in there that you wouldn't expect. 
Or maybe it's, a, you know, be it raunchy humor, just a different take on things. I feel where... like it's his characterization. I feel yeah. like his characters kind of resonate a little more with me. They feel a little bit more identifiable. They feel a little more real yeah. than a Brian Michael Bendis. Brian Michael Bendis relies, I think, heavily on realistic dialogue, a lot of fillers like and, um, uhs, and things like that. Does that bother you when you read it? Does it jump out to you? It almost depends on what my mood is like. Because sometimes it kind of does, and other times it's like, oh, this is pretty cool. This is very realistic. Uh, He did it in Powers. That was, like, the first thing that I really started to identify. Brian Michael Bendis is a is a really good writer whenever I was reading Powers. But it's funny that you mentioned, like, the ending to the Spider-Man Black Cat storyline because I feel like that was kind of what Brian Michael Bendis was always guilty of with Powers. You had these almost mystery-style storylines because it's a homicide detective. He's trying to do his detective work and figure out who the killer is, usually. And... You expect it to be a, a dramatic ending, but it, it always ended with a whimper. It's this really cool build-up, and, and then the end just let you down time and time again. Like It was a really nice setup because each storyline was basically put into a trade. So the first trade's like, who killed Retro Girl or something like that? Yeah. And then the, the next trade is role-play, I think. It's a completely different case and so on so it kind of works in that regard but you get to the end of that it's a really cool setup but you get to the end of the issues and you're like you're not surprised or you're just this overall kind of letdown he he didn't know how to kind of cap his his nice stories i felt i don't know if this is a flaw in his storytelling for powers but i always was more interested in the actual superhero community i wanted to go and explore that stuff I understand that it was not about that, and that was kind of its shtick. Mm-hmm. But I always was drawn to like, oh, well, what did Retro Girl really do? And what what are these heroes and villains? What, what's going on with them? I want to see them actually in action. Mm-hmm. And I only read the first trick. Um, but I, that's that was always my problem with this. I couldn't get the actual heroes and the power stuff going on. Yeah. I was I was actually okay with that direction where the superhero stuff was kind of you know on the peripherals of the kind of the normal human characters and it I felt like it was a, a fresh unique taste on doing superheroes and you mentioned kind of Kevin Smith had an edge I felt like this is where Brian Michael Bendis his edge kind of really came out I mean, that, that book really didn't pull any punches when it came to raunchiness or shock value. Paul, have you ever read Powers? No. Never it's read by, Powers. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis. I'm aware. It's about uh, superhero cops mm-hmm. who police superheroes. They're not superheroes. Well... Right? One of them is a superhero? They're, they're homicide detectives and they investigate um, homicides that involve powers. Yeah, never read. Is that um, Mike Oming that does the art for that? Yeah. Good art. Really like the art. Yeah, when I first saw that book, when that book was first solicited, I was like, this art looks like 
Bruce Timms. Yeah, you know? it does. And because I only saw the one cover, and I was really excited about that. I was like, oh, somebody's like doing this like grittier version of Bruce Tim type stuff. Because you're only used to like the animated series. Batman Unless you have series. Bruce Tim, naughty and nice, the super filthy sketchbook. Mm-hmm. Do you own that? I don't actually own it, but I'm going to get it one day. So. Brian Michael or, Bendis uh-huh. actually tweeted a Bruce Tim piece of artwork the other day of Donna Troy, who had the dirtiest titties I've ever seen on an animated piece of art. Why they were, were they dirty? Yeah, they, they were. They, they were. Were so, they in mud? They were so perky, and the nipples were just in your face. And after watching so much, you know, like Bruce Tim style artwork on the animated series, whenever you get out something like his "Not Your Nice Book." that is really sexual like that. It, it always kind of takes me aback. Like, I expect it from Frank Cho and Guillaume March and even even the Dodsons to a point. Yeah, the Dodsons kind of get down from, on that. Whenever I see it from Bruce Tim, I'm, I'm always kind of shocked. Now, Bruce Tim's... Um, his, the, the ying to Bruce Tim's yang is a writer named Paul Dini. Can we agree that Paul Dini is one of the, uh, the top-tier comic book writers in the biz? I think so. I would say he is one of the best Batman writers of all time. Tell the listeners about Paul Dini. Paul Dini. Paul Dini cut his teeth on writing He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. And why do you know that? That little tidbit of a fact. Because I own the first couple seasons of He-Man, and he's in a lot of the writing credits. Did you know that before he uh, had his episode on Fat Man on Batman with Kevin Smith? I did. I didn't. I didn't know that. Um, I didn't know to the extent that uh, he was responsible for creating the backstories for a lot of those He-Man characters. Yeah, I knew he worked on He-Man, yeah. but I didn't know how how crazy it was and how deep it was. Now, I could be wrong on this, but I always felt like with He-Man, basically they just made a shitload of crazy fucking toys. And then they're like, okay, let's write stories for all these characters. Is that kind of the way it went? Yeah, I think it, it was. Okay, they had, they it had feels toys, like it. They had toys, and then they were like, how can we promote these toys? And they slapped together a TV show with the toys. Um, and, and even the toys had the little comic books that they came with. They kind of ignored all that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's essentially how that went down. And uh, Paul Dini... Paul Dini did a lot of the writing for those characters. He said on Fat Man on Batman that they got the, Zo- the Zodak character... And a lot of the times, you know, you get someone who was clearly a good guy or a bad guy, but uh, him and the guys he was writing with, they got Zodak, and they were, they looked at it like, well, what the hell do we do with this guy? Which is why, to this day, Zodak is kind of like, no one really knows what to, what, what to do with that. An ambiguous character. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Keith Giffen said, you know, I, I know, let's cross him over with the DC Universe. That's the ticket. <laughs> you know what? That first issue of the He-Man DC crossover was really good. Written by Keith Giffen. I'm really bummed out that he's leaving. He's a writer that I always enjoy whatever he writes. At the least, I will be entertained by it. And Keith Giffen's been around a long time. What are some of his greatest hits that maybe some of our listeners would like to go and pick up at their local comic shop? Keith Giffen's greatest hit is the 90s Justice League International Stuff with uh, Booster Gold and 
Blue Beetle, are you shaking your head no, or no, that's not right, or no, that's a bad book? No, that's a bad book, I think. No, I think that, you have the team right. No, you said his greatest hit. I'm going to disagree. You think he has a, a more well-known greatest hit? No. It's certainly not Larfleet's. No, not, not well-known. Trencher. No. Freak Force. Now you're being an asshole. Freak Force. I'm not being an asshole. This is what I know Keith Giffen from. We're going to start... That, he were, just because that's what you know him from doesn't mean that's his greatest hit. We're going to start te- keeping douche tally. Douche points. We're going to... Yeah, I like, I like douche tally. I like douche tally. <laughs> I, I can see on the wall, whiteboard, douche mm-hmm. tally. Rape, rape, rape. <laughs> rape, rape, rape. <laughs> that was my audible marker on whiteboard, but you can interpret it as rape if you'd like. Kind of sounded rape like. Did it sound like rape? We just got rape on our minds. That's all. It sounded like marker to me. Maybe Matt has rape on his mind. Uh, it sounded like when rape he, marker. When, <laughs> when Matt sees markers, he instantly thinks rape. So Freak Force, huh? Well, I liked Freak Force. It was a tie-in to the Savage Dragon comic book in the '90s, and it. I think it went something like 21, 22 issues, somewhere in there. And, uh, so you're, but you're wrote, really seriously disagreeing that his most well-known No, 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 no. Okay. I, I, when, I guess when we said greatest hit, I was thinking personally, to me, his greatest hit was the Freak Force thing. However, I never read that Justice League International, so I'm not the expert. I honestly have never read it either, but I know the cover. Not that he drew the cover. I'm just saying I associate him with that. Before, before DC relaunched their universe and did the whole new 52 Keith Giffen did a fairly long run on Doom Patrol and I've always kind of liked the Doom Patrol I thought they were just weird enough there was a very they're a very BPRD type team you know they go deal with uh, not so much superhero stuff but just any kind of oddball shit that happens Doom Patrol goes to check it out is that like the Justice League Dark now? um no cause they're they're more strictly magic based mhm like, uh, if there were some weird underground aliens that came up, that would be Doom Patrol territory. Gotcha. And Keith Giffen had a, pre- had a pretty good run on that. It was a really entertaining book. And Keith Giffen always interjects a good bit of comedy in his books. Mm-hmm. He could probably write a pretty, pretty decent uh, dramedy for television. And that always, like, I, I always appreciate that. I, I have a hard time watching shows that are too serious. Um, the Brizzle was telling me that he enjoyed the first couple episodes of The Blacklist, but it that, looked it looked too the James Spader show. It looked too serious. I'm, I'm familiar. It's serious as fuck. Yeah, I need I need some levity. A lot of hype on The Blacklist. You can't watch. You can't. I, that's a it's an NBC show, I believe. Yeah. Right. Can't watch any. Any NBC TV without seeing a promo for the Black. Yeah, I, like, I didn't think it was all that good. I like stuff like Castle, which is also kind of funny. Now you bring this up, and I know listening back to a couple weeks ago, or maybe it was last podcast, you mentioned, and we're not going to get into it real heavy, but you mentioned Shield, and you didn't really like how jokey they were. But right now you're saying that you like humor in your television shows. I like humor, not cream pies and bananas on the floor, which is what you got from National Lampoon's Agents of Steel. I, I didn't think it was that bad. I really didn't. The whole time I'm watching it, it I, was like I didn't think it was this. I didn't think it was cream pies It was and like 
It was like Agents of Shield starring Larry and Balky. I didn't. That would be awesome. It was. It was perfect superhero strangers. Yeah, I think you're 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 being a little harsh here. It had the same. It had the same amount of comedy that Iron Man three did when we left. We left Iron Man three, and we were like, that shit was a little too funny. And that's what that's what Shield was. At least the first episode. I thought they toned it down for number two. They must have heard the criticism and then toned it down. Right? I, I called probably... them right away. I bet I bet they have those shows in the can already. It's a Joss, baby. Like the series? Oh, you mean that they've already... Or do they make one each week? I, I thought they made it. They were like made to order. Like, oh, order yeah. up. Episode number two, yeah? <laughs> In the 20s? I, I know, it was Newsboy. I don't know why I went Newsboy instead of Short Order Chef. I'm sorry. Just like I only have, I, I only do British Lady. I don't do British Man. Give me, give me Short Order Cook. What does I don't, he sound I don't like? know what he says. I don't know what he says. Matt, give us something. What does no. Short Order Cook sound like? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I'm not good at impressions. You do it. I can't do it. Episode two. Up. Ian is clearly our resident impressionist. <laughs> was, that, was that good? I've never worked in the kitchen. That's how I imagine it to be. Uh, yeah, that, that's what I was going to go with. Okay. That was good. I was going to tell the listeners that was actually me. And I would say, man, don't I sound a lot like Ian? <laughs> it's your impression of an Ian impression doing short order cook. Yeah. What the fuck were we talking about? We were making shield, I think. About in the how, kitchen. how Keith uh, Giffen, Keith Giffen uh, interjects, interjects some comedy mm-hmm. in the stuff that he does. He also did a miniseries um, about the Three Horsemen. It was, uh, I think it was right after 52. The week, the year-long uh, giant fifty-two story that they did, and uh, it was the it was Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman, and they had to fight the uh, or not three horsemen, four horsemen of the apocalypse. I was like, the apocalypse is running short on horsemen, and it was cool. It was a really different kind of story, like you know, seeing them deal with some biblical shit. So, Paul. Uh, Ian here. Mm-hmm. He gave us his one of his top three favorite writers, and we've kind of meandered around and mentioned some other guys that we like, but we didn't really touch on one of your maybe top three favorite guys, unless Paul Dini is in your top three. I I I feel like I need to read more of Paul Dini's other works mm-hmm. to put him on, on the list. Okay, I've read well, a well, lot of his Batman. I saw. All of the animated series, all that TV work, a mm-hmm. lot of Tiny Toons right. and Animaniacs that he was also responsible for. You just don't have enough of a sample. I read his Madame Mirage series, which aren't, was really fucking cool. Aren't there like 300 episodes of Tiny Toons? Yeah. But he... Um, Tiny Toons movie. Fucking great movie. What's he writing? He's doing... Um, he's doing Ultimate, Ultimate Spider-Man. Spider-Man. But I don't think he's the only writer. I thought writer he was doing he a did Marvel just, comic right now. I, I don't know. I really don't know off the top of my head. He did do Ultimate Spider-Man, which kind of pulled me into wanting to check it out. I was really let down by it. I, I can't blame him for that. That's a old sage joke. So if I'm going to go top three, uh, I will put Brad Meltzer 
in that camp. Um, Brad Meltzer doesn't have an extensive comic book resume, but he's written a shit ton of novels that I've never read. There are all kinds of um, like political thriller, Da Vinci Code type type novels, and they sell a lot of lot of copies. So they must be good, but I haven't gotten around to checking one out. And that's what he's most famously... That's that's his big bread-winning thing that he does mm-hmm. before he stepped into comic books. Right, but comics is one of his passions. Like Kevin Smith, you know, he used his... He used his novel success to kind of get into writing comic books. And he's good buddies with Judd Winnick, who's been in the comic book industry for a long time. So, Is Judd Winnick the guy from the real world? He is. Yes. Is he the one that like was flipping out on Puck about Pedro? He he was. Probably. He wrote a he wrote a comic book um, I think called My Friend Pedro. What about, about? His Pedro and me? relationship with Pedro Zamora? Oh, so it's kind of very straightforward. Like it. Yeah, I, th- I think it's the real story of what happened. But he was on there. Famously dated hot Asian Pam. From the I believe the book is called something. Pedro and Me. Pedro not, and my... not my buddy Pedro. I just made it up, but I did know of it. That was the last real world season that I ever watched. That was the first real world season, I think. It was no. the third. It was the third season. It was New York, um, Los Angeles, San Francisco. Aren't you balls deep in real world lore? Like, no. didn't you didn't you watch all the real world? For a long time, I watched like I'd say I've watched at least ten seasons of the real world. Oh my god! I know, right? Did you Road try out too? for it? No, I'm not entertaining. You're entertaining. You're not good looking enough. Correct. <laughs> uh, now, someone handsome. Is the real world still going? Mm, I believe so. I've fallen out of it in my old age. I can't keep up with these kids and all their stuff. You're looking at me like I'm a young man. You are a young man. I can't watch a show about 21-year-olds. They're too vapid and insane. Well, it's for the camera, and they're they're cast on purpose that way. Yeah, but I think when you're younger, you can relate to that stuff a little more than after you've seen all that... Maybe you're just maybe again. you're just burned out after watching ten seasons of the real world. Maybe you need you took a break. Could be. Maybe you should get back into it. Could be. I even set my game up and watch. I don't watch it anymore. But Bad Girls Club on Oxygen is like the real world on meth. <laughs> it's amazing. But it's chicks. It's not it's, not dudes. It's chicks. It's just chicks living in a house purposely fighting with each other on camera all week long. Is this your your pick? Uh, I, I'll I'll take the hit. Sure. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm glad that we're talking about writers and we're talking about shows that reality don't TV. really have writers. Come to me, people, for your reality TV. So Brad Meltzer, a lot of novels, not a whole lot of comic book writing, but everything he's written that I've read uh, in the comic book world, I've really, really loved um, his story. Identity Crisis is easily one of my top two or three favorite stories all time in in the world of comics. A lot of people didn't like it. A lot of people thought it was too dark. And a big criticism of his is that he makes all the characters too friendly. They're too close to each other. You know, like, I guess people have a problem with Bruce and Clark calling each other Bruce and Clark. 
instead of Superman and Batman all the Who time. Who are these people? Fans. Fans on the internet. Fanboys. You mean our audience? Our audience. I don't know how many of our audience reads comic books. How many in our audience? That was good chair squeaking. I hope that Sorry. Can, I hope so, that came on, <clears throat> on the mic. You think a lot of our audience does not read comics? I think that they are... I don't think that they go to the store every week like we do. Every other week? No. I don't think so. Couple. Couple. <clears throat> Couple do? Mm-hmm. But people have a problem with Brad Meltzer, and I never, I never understood it. Because Meltzer has... Like, he writes the characters very natural with each other. If you're Superman and Batman, and you've been working together... For so fucking long, of course you're gonna have a warm relationship. You're gonna call each other by, you know. There should be a lot more name. of buddy and come on, guy. I don't know if people wanted more, more friction, more friction between them. Maybe he wrote everyone is getting along too well, which clearly wasn't the case in Identity Crisis because that's a messed up book, and that's one of the reasons I liked it because he went like Kevin Smith with the. Um, I guess we're you know, coming back to rape again. Uh, one of the characters in Identity Crisis gets raped, and then that um, results in the Justice League lobotomizing a villain because of it, and it just throws the normally bright and sunshiny DCU heroes, and it, like, turns it all upside down, and you see this dirty underbelly of all this stuff that goes on behind the scenes. And it was a really interesting contrast to just all the years of, like, the bright and sunshiny DC to actually see that they could be real people and they really have to deal with real world shit like you know if you're a fucking super villain and you're messed up in the head you're probably gonna rape some people you and I, I thought it was cool that he got into that pretty in depth instead of just oh it's a touchy subject i really can't i, I really don't want to touch that <clears throat> and it was a weird choice for those those heroes superman batman wonder woman um not fighting a you know dark side or not fighting a supervillain, kind of fighting you know their choice. I thought that was uh, cool. Yeah, and there's there's a faction that the, and they wind up fighting each other over the moral ground of lobotomizing Doctor Light, and some people are like, well, we had to. He was too powerful. He was going to do it again. And we had to. And you know, then there's the moral guys, and we, there, there was a way. There was another way. It was a really, really good book. Rags Morales did the art, and um, he, every character was an actor, and you can kind of, kind of pick it up throughout the book. But it's a really, really neat book. Do you like that when they basically, when the artist casts the characters? Yeah, for this, for this, I I think it was really cool. Like he used some old older actors like Danny Kaye for Elongated Man, and he didn't he didn't do it for everybody. <clears throat> it wasn't like when um, Greg Land. Oh, it was definitely wasn't like that. But it Gary wasn't Frank. No, not Gary Frank either. Uh, on Spider Man after after John Romita Jr. left, Straczynski was still writing it. His name starts with a D. He draws a lot of blacks. Mike Diodato. Mike Diodato. Yeah. Jason Priestley, Spider-Man. Robert Tommy De Niro, Lee, acting coach. Tommy Lee Jones, Harry Osborn. Yeah, which I kind of like, actually. That yeah. one made a lot yeah. of sense. Liv Tyler, Mary Jane. 
Yeah, I'm not a fan of that. It depends on who the artist is. I think Mike Diodato, it's distracting whenever. You you get away from the art and you're like, what picture yeah, did he and I, and I, I felt with the, the Rags Morales stuff, he was using actors from a far enough away generation that it wasn't like you're looking at Ryan Gosling in every panel. Wow. Did you know that he used Danny Kaye? Before you do you know Danny Kaye's work? No, it's in um it's in the extras in the trade. Oh, but there's okay. there's other other characters that he used where it's you clearly look and you're like, alright, this is this person. Yeah, that's an interesting choice, but I, I can see it now. Now Matt. Yes. Transition. Yeah. Favorite uh favorite actor. My favorite hey. actor. <laughs> no. Uh, uh, who are some who are some writers that, that you like? Do you have a top three or Yeah, I probably do. I probably do. Uh do you want to tell us one? Yeah, I'll give you one. This this one's a surefire. Um Robert Kirkman. Blessed Fam- by the hand of God. Famous writer of Battle Pope. <laughs> That's right. Battle Pope. Super Dinosaur. Ah, yes. And, of course, Tech Jacket. Tech Jacket. Deep Cuts. Yep. What's Tech Jacket about? Tech Jacket's about a, uh, I think, like a high school kid that comes across this jacket that's got technical capabilities. And, uh, honestly, I don't really remember it. it, it we're, we're going back probably ten years with this, but... Um, Actually, more than that, because this was before Walking Dead and Invincible and all that shit. But it was a, it was an image book. It was black and white, and um, it originally came out in standard size, you know, singles. But then they collected it into a digest size, black and this white. This is your favorite book on earth that has all your favorite things. Is it a slice of life? No, it was. Damn it! It was more of a. Um, it was more of like a anime style the art had a very manga look to it uh i wasn't wildly enthusiastic about it i think more so because of the um the art than anything but uh you know i gotta give it up to robert kirkman for the walking dead and invincible even though i'm wildly behind on invincible um the guy just writes the way that i would want that I like to read. I like to read just really fast, uh, quick delivery between characters, no fluff, but still good storytelling, fast-paced. I haven't read a lot of Kirkman, just the the entire Walking Dead run and with the first six Invincible trades. Yeah, and they're both they're both quick to the point. I like I like reading that kind of stuff. If it gets too wordy, uh, you'll lose me. Yeah, now, like, if I was a comic book writer, I feel like that would be the way that I would write. I wouldn't get bogged down. I feel like certain writers go out there and maybe research the fuck out of what they're talking about and kind of almost overwrite. Like, an artist would overdraw a a panel and, like, put too much maybe cross-hatching on it or, you know, too much shading or whatever. I feel like certain writers might tend to put too much exposition or too many word balloons. I I hate opening up a comic book page 
and you just see word balloons everywhere. And it's like you're not even paying attention to the pictures anymore. It's just about <clears throat> this writer loving his own words almost. Oh. And it maybe almost, that's not even the right way to say it. Like, I feel like some writers have big egos, like like a guy like Bendis. Maybe it's a writer not knowing how to edit himself. It also gets kind or of... Or an editor not knowing how to edit. I'm sorry, go ahead, Paul. It also gets kind of laborious to read. Um, I read He-Man number six this weekend. Who wrote that? A, uh, Keith Giffen. Okay. And it was a really good book, but it felt really word-heavy. I, I got... I was to the middle of it. I felt like I had read three books already. Yeah. Yeah, I don't like that feeling. I don't like... Because sometimes you're like, you know what? I'm going to blow through three books tonight or something. Mm-hmm. And you get to the end of that first one, and you're like, I'm spent. I'm spent. I, there's, was What's was so there funny? something that we missed here? Would you like to share? Well, when he said that, I just thought, you know what? There's some nights I just want to blow three guys tonight. <laughs> well, that too. Yeah, but that's not what tonight's nice. topic is about. Yes. Next week when we talk about how we like to blow men, I, I can give you more details. Good. Looking forward to next week. So, yeah, guys like that. But here's the funny thing. I'm going to mention a guy that's very much like that, but at the same time I like him. Can you guess who it is, Paul? Um, all I can think of are your favorite artists. I don't know. Ron Lim. No. Ron Lim is Ron, a, He's an artist. Oh, wrong. I know. That's what I said. I can't think of writers. Okay. Who are you going to say? Kurt Busick. Oh, oh. You do love him. Really wordy, but at the same time, he... I feel like he's really good at just kind of um, immersing you into the story. I'm not super familiar with his work. I mean, I know that he's Astro City. Did he do... He's Mark Wade is Kingdom Come. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Now, Mark, I always kind of like felt those two writers somewhat went hand in hand. Because Why I, is that? I feel I that think, way too. Well, because to, the main reason is they both got big right around the same time because Kurt Busiek was the writer on Alex Ross's Marvels. Okay. And then Alex Ross followed that up with Kingdom Come oh. with Mark Wade. Okay. And like... They they both kind of got really popular at the same time. Yeah. And uh, kind of went on to big things right after that. So, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I do always get them confused. But the uh, the run the run that Kurt Busiek had on on Marvels is what kind of made me a fan in the first place. But his his Astro City stuff is is just like I said, it's captivating. It it. He does such a good job of world building, which is a big um, a big word that we like to throw around here on the um, McSauce Comic Book Podcast. We do like to build worlds. I like and, it. I'm and a he, fan and of he it. does, and he does a really good job of building this this fake city, this Marvel New York City type world with uh, with Astro City and he just kind of covers all aspects of the city everything from the slums to like the most you know majestic towers in the in the city and and everything in between so um that's really why i'm probably a big fan of his are there any particular traits that a writer one writer or you know that that carry over from writer to writer that you find attract you to 
to a particular style. Is, yeah. is there something that yeah, you ma- like? Yeah, mainly, Kurt Busiek is more the exception to this rule than anything, but it's it's writers that are not um, exposition heavy. They're, they're very dialogue driven. They're very, very character driven type stories. Uh, you know, quick, punchy dialogue. That's why I like um, Kirkman stuff. Eric Larson's a big fan. I'm a big fan. <laughs> He's a big fan of mine. Um, he has told me that he likes your work. That's funny. Yeah. So what I really liked from Eric Larson, aside from Savage Dragon, as you know, although I would not say that I like Savage Dragon so much now. Yeah. Um, but his original, and, and Eric Larson, for those that don't know, artist, most famous as an artist, but also... The writer has written every issue of The Savage Dragon. Yeah. He wrote... I could be wrong on this, but I want to say his first major writing credit was on Spider-Man. Spider-Man number 18. He followed Todd McFarlane's run that went... um, 15 issues, I think. Actually, no. Here's what happened. No, I think it went... Did it go... Yeah, no, you might be right. Went, because there were a couple, there were a few fill-in issues, I think, in there before Eric Larson took over. No, no. The way it went is, uh, because I know the listeners want to know, Todd McFarlane did Spider-Man 1 through 14. Eric Larson came on and wrote and drew number 15, which was one of my all-time favorite Spider-Man stories, and it guest stars The Beast from the X-Men. And it's an issue where Spider-Man is starting to kind of second-guess whether or not he wants to have a kid with Mary Jane because he's concerned that this child might end up being a mutant because of his superpowers, and he's afraid of this kid living in that world. So he seeks out um, uh, the Beast, Hank Hank McCoy, to uh, somewhat reassure him that things are okay. Or maybe not even looking for reassurement. Reassurance? Just, reassurement. They just, a, <laughs> just bounce his fears off of him and see scientifically. Yeah, yeah. Do you um, remember that issue? Oh, 100%. Yep. Yeah. I, I love that issue because it did kind of deal with some different things that... Um, real world stuff that yeah. you never got in Spider-Man. Or really, at that point, a lot of you know superhero comics. Right, books. and I don't even remember there being a villain in the book. I don't remember there being... Was there? There was, but it wasn't like... It wasn't any kind of normal villain that you would see. It wasn't like, um, you know, it wasn't Magneto or anybody like mm-hmm. that. It was, um, it was some kind of mutated cyborg thing that was a big monstrous deal. But I remember that it was... In, in its mind, it was a child, and I remember them fighting this big, mutant, powerful thing, but kind of wrestling with the fact that it was it was really just a kid, and, you know, the, and they were having this conversation about children growing up with these mutations, and I, I thought that was a good kind of way to, you know, really cat, you know, crystallize what they were talking about. Now, I might have mentioned this on the podcast at some point in the last 29 weeks that we've been doing this but that was my first uh eric larson book that i ever bought really so you didn't get amazing spider-man stuff no no wow not so i guess early on there when mcfarlane was doing spider-man larson was doing 
The Amazing Spider-Man. We'll tell you more about that, folks, after pizza. Pizza Hut. He went on Big Boy Pizza tonight. So, Ian, Big Boy Pizza count. Sponsored by Domino's. Four Woo! pieces of pizza. I'm very hungry tonight. I was hungry. Four pieces. I also have four pieces of Big Boy Pizza, but they weren't all that big. No, they were teeny tiny. Yeah. But they were delicious. I haven't had Domino's since the Noid was running around on TV, Jesus. so... We lost um, all of our listeners with that reference. Everybody knows who the Noid is. Avoid the Noid. And Matt? Domino's marketing did. Matt, big boy pizza count? I remember the Noid. Three. Are you counting that last sliver of a slice that you had? Yes. Did you eat the other, other mm-hmm. half of it? Yeah. Yeah, so if you put those together, that's three. Good job. Nice pizza job, count. sir. I said I have four. I have four little slices okay. of big boy pizza. I was off in pizza land. Thinking about my Noid joke. So we talked podcasts ago. We talked artists and you know which artists we would buy, no matter what they put out. And I feel like, personally, I lean more toward writers in that regard. Uh, I'm a big fan of Paul Dini, so when he wrote his creator-owned Madame Mirage series. I've picked it up without any any hesitation. I feel that way about um, Brad Meltzer, you know, Kevin Smith. If they ever get back in the comics game, I'm definitely going to pick up whatever it is. Um, Matt, you were saying big Kurt Busiek fan. Would you buy anything Kurt Busiek put out? No. Whoa, no. Whoa, a definitive no. Mm-mm. Are there any writers that you would do that for? No, I don't think so. Not even Kirkman? No, because I didn't buy Super Dinosaur. You didn't? I'm going to buy that no. for you and give it to you. I didn't think it looked very good. It looked like dog well, shit. You know, I think what writers like Meltzer and Kevin Smith have in their corners is that they don't do a whole lot, but Kirkman writes a lot of stuff. You're constantly buying stuff if you're buying Robert Kirkman. So do you think maybe if, if he pulled the reins back a little bit and released things a little more sporadically, you'd do it? 
Maybe, but what does Kirkman do right now outside of The Walking Dead and Invincible? Invincible. You know better than me, but those are those are regular monthly titles. I know that he used to do The Astonishing Wolfman or something like that. Right? That sounds like a Kirk, Kirkman thing. He he also did Haunt for a while, isn't that right? Did mm. he do that Science do Dog that. spinoff? He pulled himself off of Haunt in order to focus on the TV show, which I don't really understand. The Haunt TV show? No, The Walking Dead TV show, sorry. Which I don't really understand his relevance as maybe like a creative consultant or something because the fucking TV show is nothing like the comic book, so... So you think that he's not there lending a hand, making sure that his baby is handled in the way that he would like it to be? Do you think Kirkman's upset with the way that the Walking Dead TV show is being brought to the audience? Realistically, I would think that deep down there's probably some dissatisfaction with the way that the TV show goes, considering how vastly different it is than his original creation. I don't think he'd ever cop to it. I don't think he'd ever admit it. Um, But I feel like if I had a, a work my own personal creation that was picked up for some kind of syndicated show and and it was altered to the degree that the show is, I feel like it would bother me. Maybe it wouldn't. Maybe I'd say, well, that's even better than what I came up with. But somebody that has reached the level of success that Kirkman has, I feel like inherently there's probably an ego that comes along with it. So... I think he you, has a little more of a hand in things than you've let on over the last couple of days when we've talked about it. Because I've brought maybe. up that I think that Kirkman's using the TV series to do some stuff that he didn't get to do in the book. Mm-hmm. And you kind of said, no, I don't think he writes all that much. There's other writers doing that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I think he has a little more of a hand in stuff than, than that. Maybe doing some revisionist history where he sees points where there's a fork in the road and he takes the opposite direction Mm -hmm. could be i don't know of the other writers i don't know anything like that but that's how that was always how i thought it was where he he purposefully did some different things to see how it would play out perhaps but i still feel like if that is his intent now with the show and i'm sorry that we're basically turning this into the walking dead episode part two it is october it is zombies But if that was his intent with the show, I don't understand why he's not taking the steps, the necessary steps in the comic book to try to align the two right now. I still feel like he's allowing them to kind of just go in their completely different directions. Maybe he feels that they're two completely different things. Oh, at this point, they really are. Yeah, I guess they are, but they they didn't have to be. They didn't have to be, but the choices he made made them that way. Or the choices that... The production staff or the writing staff made. That's my perception. I'm basing that on just kind of an opinion. That's all I'm going on, really. But so you go ahead. Usually, I don't think that the um, that the original writer gets to kind of have their say in something that the TV studio basically paid for the rights. I mean, I don't What do you think his show. role is on, on Isn't set? Isn't it a, maybe executive producer or creative consultant, something like that, maybe? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not really sure. He's executive producer, and I think that's what I think that's what's happening. It's prob- probably... I wish I could find it. I've been trying to look, look it up online. I think it's something like there's 
the writer's room, and they bring out a script, and Kirkman looks over it, and he makes his tweaks, and then he gives it back for another draft, and he's executive producing. But he is not a writer that you would buy everything and anything that he ever put out. No. No, I wouldn't. He has written several episodes for the TV series, according to Wikipedia. That's cool. So you've met Matt. You've mentioned two two writers that you brought up tonight of being favorite writers of yours: Busick and Kirkman. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't. They're not must-haves when they release something for you. No, but you were mentioning earlier, Paul, that you felt like you know you're more of like a a writer type of fan. You know, you're you're going to follow a writer before you would follow an artist, basically. Generally speaking. Yes. And I think you pointed out maybe I was more the opposite. But I don't think there's an artist that I would buy whatever they make no matter what. Are you going to make me invoke his name? <laughs> okay, yeah, I would buy it. Yeah. Okay. You but shall you know not what? be the patron saint of the McSauce podcast. That would be more for the spectacle almost the the big return if he was a regular i don't know if i if it would have that kind of level of meaning like if i didn't really care for the content um i'm not sure that i would buy it like every single issue i mean you know i hold jim lee in a really high regard too as a as an artist not a writer and uh I do not feel necessarily inclined to buy everything that he does. I happen to buy his current book. I don't know how long that's going to last. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Uh, and I feel like I like Jim Lee maybe more than you even do, but I'm just, I don't have to buy everything that he does. And in my head, I'm telling myself, I'm like, yeah, I'd, I get everything that Jim Lee does. I'm like, wait, he has something out right now that I'm not, I, I picked up one issue of Superman Unchained. And I feel no desire to go back and collect it, or I'm kind of waiting for his next thing to see what it is and if I'm going to get into it. So that's, yeah, it's, I don't know. I feel like it is fair to make a, to make a distinction for quantity. Um, like Jeff Johns writes, Jeff Johns may be my favorite writer, but maybe. he writes a lot of stuff. Maybe well, your favorite He writer? is my favorite Green Lantern writer. I will stroke that dick all night. But, like, we were just talking, him and Meltzer collaborated. You'd think that would be a match made in heaven for me, but I yeah. really wasn't crazy about the Lightning Saga. Maybe if I go back and reread it all in one sitting, I'll like it. But I don't have very fond memories of that. But Johns is a guy who does so much stuff. He writes so many books, and I'm pretty sure I get all of them. But it, I think it, it would get to a certain a certain point there's so much coming out where I would have to start being a little more discerning of what projects of his that I'm getting. I kind of feel that way with Garth Ennis has burned me on a lot of different books and I followed him around. I I even bought Battlefields. It's about um, female pilots in World War II and I thought that was going to be really awesome. I didn't really like it all that much. I went back and read some of his old Hellblazer stuff. I didn't really mm. like that yeah. all that much. Um, I got crossed. I, I didn't think that that was all that good. Um, crossed is so gory and so violent. 
and it's one of the most over-the-top graphic books I've ever read. It's just outrageous, and, and I didn't connect with any of the characters, which that's some of my favorite parts of his writing. When he does it right, you really feel those characters. Um, what do you think of the boys? Um, I think it started off extremely strong and whimpered out to the point where the last year and a half... I was buying a book that I was kind of, uh, I, I was angry whenever I saw it on the on the shelves because I was like, not this again. I was, I was counting down to whenever The Boys was going to end because it, 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 it got so bad. It got, it, it's a parody of superheroes, but it turned into a parody of his writing style. And he, he's one of my favorite writers. Uh, my favorite work of his is The Preacher, as well as his work on Punisher, uh, the Welcome Back <clears throat> Frank stuff from the late 90s, early 2000s. And if you follow this podcast, you know Ian doesn't get books he doesn't like. I don't get Unless books it's I don't like. the complete boys run. But I, yeah, I do have the complete run of the boys, and as I just referenced right right now, I, you know, there's a gigantic chunk of it that I really did not enjoy reading at all. But because I like the writer so much, I kept picking it up, and that's uh, that's uncommon for me. I think I feel like Garth Ennis needs to take a break, or get on something that he, he really knows. He always seems to have like a handful of things going on at any given time. When was the last time Garth Ennis did a, a mainstream book? Uh, that's a great question. It might have been Punisher. Mm-hmm. Um, if I had to guess, I, I'm, I'm not looking at it, but that's what I would guess. For me, that was the best thing that I've ever read that he's done. Um, it was it was really great. It was coming off of his run, uh, him and Steve Dillon, on Preacher, and they just seamlessly went right into that world. I felt like they carried um, elements of his run on Preacher into the Punisher, mm-hmm. um, as well as expanded that character in a way that I never knew. I wasn't a fan of... Uh, the Punisher character before, but now I'm a huge Punisher fan. Mm-hmm. Punisher's great. What about Frank Miller? I feel like Frank Miller, you could almost compare a little bit to Garth Ennis. Like the I current agree. state of Frank Miller compared to the current state of Garth Ennis, based on what you're saying. The big difference being Miller doesn't put out the quantity that Ennis does. Right, it seems to be a bigger deal when Frank Miller sits down to write. But the decline of his writing is this has the same arc that we just talked about. Right, and also <laughs> the decline of his directing uh, credentials. Uh, I know that he's directed 1.25 movies so far, the uh, .25 being part of Sin City with Robert Rodriguez, and then he tried to take that and apply it to the Spirit movie, which... I, I admit I've never seen, but I did see the trailers. I'll tell you what, it was really sexy. All the ladies in it were really fucking attractive, but and it, it was very stylized, but it felt out of character for the spirit, if mm-hmm. you know that book. Paul, you're a big Frank Miller fan, right? No, can't say that I am. It's okay. Not my style. I don't do, um, I don't really do noir. Okay. School. 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 Wouldn't you say, Paul? Wouldn't you say that there's some other writers that you like? <laughs> I'm so silly. 
There are some other like writers that I like that are You glossed Miller. over Jeff Johns. You have the biggest fucking boner for him. Go back and tell us all about how much you love Jeff, Jeff Johns, because I want to hear that. Um, when you were a young lad. When I was a young lad in 2004. Well, like, I, I think I was reading Jeff Johns before I knew Jeff Johns. What would he have been on? Teen Titans. Oh, that's right, yeah. When he relaunched Teen Titans, and, it was, and I was getting um, Justice Society. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure, without having the reference in front of me, I'm pretty sure those were both going on before he started with Green Lantern Rebirth. But, like, there's a lot of, there's a lot of books from when I started reading books that... I wasn't really paying attention to the writers or the artists, and then um, once I read more and got more familiar with the whole comic book universe, that then I'd go back and look at these books again and be like, oh, fuck, Doug Monkey did this, or Jeff Johns did this. And that, uh, that was the case with um, the, those Teen Titans books. And the first, the first three or four trades are so good, so good. Um, the artwork, I forget who, who did the art. In those books, but um, Jeff Johns really—that's that's my Teen Titans team. Yeah. It's not the new Teen Titans, the old uh, George Perez, um, Starfire, Perez, and who? Who's famous with him for those books? I have no idea. I I, I remember George Perez, but I can't remember anybody else yeah, off the top uh, of my head. You know, there's the the early team with uh, Speedy and Aqualad and Dick Grayson. And then there's Dick Grace and Starfire, Cyborg. But the team with um, Tim Drake, Impulse, Superboy, Wonder Girl, like that's my Teen Titans team because Jeff Johns wrote those so well. Um, he writes, he just writes really good, really good characters, really good heroes. Um, he's. Mark Wolfman was the writer yeah, Wolfman on Perez. Wolfman Perez. Um. I I don't think I haven't liked anything Jeff Johns has done. It, it really started with Green Lantern Rebirth. Like, he hooked me in with with Green Lantern, and then I started just picking up whatever he was doing after that. And I haven't been haven't been left down yet, let down yet. Like, Keith Giffen, at worst, I've been entertained by, by something he's done. Um, Blackest Night wasn't amazing. Brightest Day certainly wasn't amazing either. I mean, Blackest Night was good. Brightest Day was kind of weak, but it it kept me entertained the whole the whole way through it. It didn't you know rock my world to its core, but it it, it kept me entertained. Do you think that because he generally uses the heroes in the universe that you are most drawn to, that has something to do with him being one of your favorite writers or your favorite writer? Yeah, and uh, I was going to say, I'm sure he'll go to Marvel at some point, but he's, you know, chief creative officer at DC, so he's pretty well entrenched over there. But even if he did go over to Marvel or did some creator-owned stuff, I'd, I'd check it out. You know, yeah. he's, he's uh, cur- curried enough, carried, carried enough, carried enough Cur- favor with curried? me that I'll, I'll give whatever he does a try. Just like Paul Dini, he's, he's impressed me enough with everything I've read by him that I'm, I'll... I'll pick up whatever. If he went over to Marvel and did... What's a Marvel book I wouldn't want to read? X-Men. If he went over and did X-Men. I like how you talk about going over to Marvel. Like, if he molested kids, I'd probably still be a fan of his. That's how you view it. 
Deadpool, he'd probably do it well. Child molesting or writing X-Men? <laughs> yeah. And writing X-Men, that's oh, it. And writing X-Men. What about some of the uh, the younger kind of up-and-coming uh, talent, it, it, some of the big two, like Scott Snyder and Matt Fraction and and whatever. Seth Wells is a uh, writer that I like. Oh, uh, yeah, um, did some Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Savage Wolverine, good stuff. Of course, you got... Dan Slott on Spider-Man. Who? Dan Slott. Oh, you know what? I really liked his run on Ren and Stimpy. No. In face, Tom Lynch. Tom Lynch loves Dan Slott. Really? Mm-hmm. Loves him. He's the guy that's destroying Spider-Man before our very eyes. Yes. Yes. Oh. So you feel the way that I do, that Spider-Man is being or has been destroyed, honestly. He was in bad shape when Dan Slott took him, but Dan Slott put the final nail in the coffin. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel the same way. I feel like all that brand new, you know, one more day, brand new day, really, you know, mowed Spider-Man down, beat him up, softened him up for the, the you know. Yeah, that was, that was Spider-Fall. What are you doing? Right? I was distracted because Paul left the room and is talking on the phone. Kind of loudly, too. He's talking loud as shit. And I can't concentrate. So why don't you come in here and talk? But anyway, Dan Slott. Um, I didn't like anything that he did on Spider-Man. And, and a lot of people say, oh, he's great. He writes great Peter Parker. You put him in this, you know, these new situations. He's in the science lab. It makes all the sense. Blah, blah, blah. I wouldn't know because they've harmed the character so badly that I can't go back to that book. No, I agree. The, he He's had way too much good fortune under Dan Slott's... Um, uh, stewardship of the character when it was actually Peter Parker. Yeah. You know, that that dream job that he had at Horizon Labs, I don't like that. Yeah. I don't like that. Why don't you like that? Because I always like my Peter Parker to be a little more down on his luck. Substitute teacher. That's how I like my Peter Parker. Or a photographer. Yeah. I like, I like the substitute teacher because, like, it played... To Matt's down on his luck thing, which is kind of unrealistic if you're really Peter Parker, but it also it also worked out because it allowed him to be down on his luck by doing what he would do, and that's give back to the community. But yeah. if you're a giant brain like Peter Parker, you're a smart guy. Why would you not have a job that paid money? Like why? Would, it at least know? played into his talent being a scientist. Whereas being a photographer just never did for right. me. But, you know, high school science teacher, that felt very organic, very real. More so than newspaper photographer. Yeah. Come on, Stanley. Were you even trying? <laughs> so, some young talent. Uh, we met, mentioned Matt Fraction, Scott Snyder. Um, are there any young out, writers? Out of, out of those... That crop that we mentioned, by far, far and away, Scott Snyder, to me, is the best. I've read stuff from all these guys. Uh, Hickman, Fraction, and Snyder. Is Jason Aaron, do we count him as a young guy? Cause I don't really know old. how old he is, but I feel like he's kind of come up amongst okay. the ranks would at the same time. In? Do we have, uh, like, a put, list of... Would you put Rick Remender in there? Yeah, like, guys? yeah, yeah, we need young DC guys. DC doesn't really have anybody outside of... Outside of, um... Well, there Snyder. Grumman, um... Lemire. Charles Soule, and, uh... Lemire. Robert Venditti, and yeah, Van Jeff Jensen. Lemire. Lemire. Yeah. Jeff Lemire. 
Yeah, I guess they they have a lot. There's a lot of good young writers out there. But a lot of those Marvel <clears throat> guys we named those those guys have been putting out books for a few mm-hmm. years now. I I have to say that I think Scott Snyder is kind of a cut above the rest. Would you say that just on the strength of his Batman run, or have you read other things that he's done? Yeah, I I think although I will say that Swamp, pardon my ass, Swamp Thing fizzled immensely. Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing. <laughs> Scott Swamp Snyder. <laughs> Swamp Thing fizzled there toward the end of his run, but... Well, that's the... because it was part of a bigger crossover. Um, yeah. And like you said earlier, Paul, sometimes when you put two premier writers together, it doesn't always make for the best the best results. Um, yeah, have you ever read American Vampire, his Vertigo title? Uh, um, no, I never did. Interesting stuff. It's, it's pretty good. Great art. I can't yeah. remember the artist's name right now. Um, but it's about vampires... It starts off in the in old, America in the old west of America, and uh, they drink blood and can't go out in the day. Oh my God! So so unique. Also, it's Scott so trailblazing. Also, Scott Snyder on the wake. Paul's favorite. Oh, that's right. Yeah, book. love it. I love so, that book. Uh, I'd like, like I'd like to see. I don't want to see him leave Batman, but I want to see like what he could do on Teen Titans or Aquaman or Superman. Why would you take him off Batman and put him on Aquaman? I didn't. I would hate that. I didn't. I said before I started saying that I don't <laughs> want to see him leave Batman. You said that, and now it's going to be on the internet, and now there's going yeah. to be a push to get him off Batman. I said I don't want to see him off Aquaman. Batman, but I want to see him do some other Something stuff. Something different, yeah. and I'm sure he will. You know, in his in his career, because I think he's going to be around for a long time. But I, 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 I'm, I'm eager. I want to see it. Snyder's on uh, Superman on Chain, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he did Severed, that came out by Image Comics about four years ago. They don't call him Image Matt for nothing, kids. Six issue series, horror, horror series. I think I mentioned it before on the podcast. Pretty good stuff. Set in like the twenties. I like the, the your body language whenever you're like I think I mentioned it before on the podcast. <laughs> no one can, this see, is that. Not no one can see that. Ask me to do my <laughs> physical mat impression. It's not a visual medium, folks. Uh, he has a he has a dark edge to his things, and uh, that's why I'd like I'd like to see him he, on Green Lantern to bring that kind of down home gothicy darkness to out to space. space. <laughs> it's like, how are you going yeah. to make this make any sense? That's what that's what I want to see. Gothic I think that would space, be a really gothic good space opera. Mm-hmm. I think he would be awesome at anything that he did. Really, he's he's a really impressive writer. Or does it? Does anybody at this table like Matt Fraction? I do like Matt Fraction, but I I like. I don't like all of Matt Fraction's work. He's written some things that were really bad. Ian just likes the tip. <laughs> that scared the shit out of me. Because <laughs> he wasn't paying attention when you did that. <laughs> when I said just the tip, I touched Matt on the thigh, and he jumped a mile. Because it was the tip oh, of God, his penis. Oh, <laughs> Uh, Matt Fraction has had some hits and some misses. He worked with Brubaker on Captain America, the Winter Soldier storyline. They kind of like split some of that writing up, I think. Um, That was good. 
He also wrote The Immortal Iron Fist, which was really good. He also wrote... Um, Hawkeye. Hawkeye, which is good. I was going bad, though. Hawkeye is by far his best thing that he's done. But the mega crossover, Fear Itself, which mm. was a couple summers ago, fucking convoluted as fuck. Terrible, terrible story. Hawkeye, his, I think his writing on Hawkeye, and we could get into this discussion for all the writers we've brought up at this point, but I think his writing on Hawkeye is helped by the artist David Aja. Because there's book, there's issues that Aja doesn't do that aren't quite as good. I would like, agree. I don't think his writing alone really powers that book. And you could really see that it might be the case because he's been so hit and miss with all his other work. I, I'm trying to think. I think I've read some Iron Man stuff that he did. Also not all that good. So he's really hit and miss but has one big thing on his portfolio that everybody now is pointing to, like, oh, you're this amazing writer. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe about, one hit wonder. What about Brian K. Vaughn? Brian K. Vaughn is a great call. I was just going to say that. I, I was re- ready I for was you to touch me that time. Say it. You touched me that, that time the, and I didn't The jump. last name that I had written down on here, Brian K. Vaughn. How, he, not a young guy, would we say? But Not that youth has anything to do with this, but... I, uh, well, I think when we say young and old, we don't mean age. We mean in the biz. New, newer to the scene. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's, he's older. Yeah. I'd say Brian K. Vaughn is up there. <clears throat> you know, maybe my top five, maybe even top three favorite favorite writers. Wow. Wow. Great stuff, man. What? Pride what? of Baghdad. Okay, I read Wild that. Last Man. And Pride of Baghdad was uh, really good. Current Saga. Um, oh, that's right. He writes Saga. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Doctor Strange, The Oath, was another Brian K. Vaughn joint. And he, I'm I, trying to think. He, he wrote something else. I, I feel want, like he wrote something I he didn't wrote, like. He wrote Runaways, which I wasn't really blown away by. It's a Marvel book about superpowered teenagers. <laughs> That's not X-Men. <laughs> <laughs> I always think he wrote the one about the boarding school when they have Donna Powers or something. Why am I thinking Umbrella Academy? No. Morning Glories. Yes. I don't know who wrote that, but... Brian K. Vaughn also wrote uh, Ex Machina Mm. with Mm. Tony Harris as the artist on that. That's a great book. I really like that. Um, that, It's about... the, The world doesn't have really any superheroes, but there is one... There is one... Um, superhero called the, the Great Machine, mm-hmm. who received his powers. They they never they're not as far as I've read it. They're not really clear on how he got his powers. Uh, I think it's an alien, um, the, you know, touched him, and now he can speak to machines and electronics. And that and he helps stop one of the planes from crashing into the buildings at not, during nine eleven. And he becomes mayor of the city uh, of New York and gives up being a superhero while trying to not really use his powers. He does sometimes. There's a, it's got some political intrigue, a little bit of superhero, a little bit of crime involved. Really, really good title. And Tony Harris's artwork, he was on Starman, and that was, that was some great stuff. So there you go. 
Ron very, K. Vaughn. Very cool. I haven't read uh, Runaways or Ex Machina, but all the stuff I have read from Brian K. Vaughn I've really liked. I don't know if I'd put him up up in the top three, but I guess he's a, he's a guy that does he doesn't put out a lot of a lot of quantity. And as soon as Saga came out, I didn't even really need to know what it was about. I just saw his name was on it, and I, I bought it. So I guess he'd make that cut. Fiona Staples' artwork really sold me on Saga, too. Just amazing. That's a, that's a perfect writer-artist marriage on that book. And he had, he had it with Pia Guerra on Why the Last Man. The, you know, the story just flowed so seamlessly together between the two of them. And I feel like Jeff Johns has had that with a lot of different artists. And maybe it's, he's just really, he can adapt to different artists because I, I, I don't think there's a Jeff Johns book that I've read where I've been like, ooh, this is, this is kind of weird. Unlike Fraction and the guy that's not David A. on some of those issues. <laughs> maybe that's uh, one of the keys to being a great writer is being adaptable and being able to work with your artist in that. Do we want to talk... Um, the guy that's perhaps Jeff Johns' analog at Marvel, Brian Michael Bendis? We can, sure. Yeah, we touched on him a little bit earlier, but um, what are you... Uh, do we want to do more touching? Yeah. A little more in-depth touching? Yeah. Matt, wh where would you put him in um, your list of favorite writers? Uh, I would not put him on my list. I like him. <clears throat> I like his stuff for the most part. Um, but sometimes I can detect a writer's ego through their writing. Ooh, it's Matt's superpower. How are you giving me footsies? <laughs> <laughs> I'm all the way over here. I was wondering what that was. It was way too high to be your foot. There he is. Brian Michael Bendis. maniac. They talk about who could play Lex Luthor. I think we found him, ladies and gentlemen. He seems like a genuinely nice guy. He was when I met him, but that was before his popularity exploded. Like, I, I, I feel like Jeff Johns would be a little standoffish. But he, he uh, in interviews and everything, he comes off as shy. Like, maybe yeah. he's, he hasn't, doesn't really like that spotlight. Even his, his episode of Fat Man on Batman felt kind of um short yeah a little guarded mm -hmm. yeah brian michael bendis uh has written some really awesome stuff um for marvel and has been for a while but i feel like maybe he's kind of overstayed his welcome a little bit i feel like he's sort of out of ideas <clears throat> uh I haven't gotten excited about anything that he's written in years. I was telling Ian earlier, I think this is when you stepped away for a minute, that he writes a very natural dialogue. You know, there's he uses fillers a lot to kind of have that realistic conversational style of speaking. And I think it works, but sometimes it can be a little tedious to kind of, kind of wade through all of it. I've heard that criticism of him before. I, it never pulls me out. I read a lot of Bendis' stuff, mm -hmm. and I, I'm always in. Maybe I'm just an apologist, but I, I like all of his, you know, pretty much all of the stuff that I've ever 
red that he's done. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say this, and I'm almost like ashamed to admit that I never read his run on Daredevil. I want to read that so fucking bad. So, one of these days I'll get around to it. Yeah, I have a big chunk of it on my comicsology. I think it's Dude. him and... It started him and Malev, and then it was him and I think his name's Michael Lark, I think mm -hmm. is the name of the artist. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Bendis and Malev worked together until Bendis left, and then Lark worked with Brubaker, I think Brubaker, was. okay. That that sounds probably more like it. Um, but yeah, I'm basically I'm holding out for a good comicsology sale on that run. Either that or I think if you want to buy the trades, they only sell them as like three trades in one. You can't buy like six issues collected anymore. They did away with those for some reason. Yeah, I don't know why they did that. That's what always stopped me from finishing this run of Daredevil was mm -hmm. because of how they collected it. Yeah, you're right, Brubaker and Lark. I think I've read a good bit of Bendis stuff, and his run on Ultimate Spider-Man stands out from everything else, in my opinion, because it feels different. I've read his new Avengers stuff. I'm reading Guardians of the Galaxy now, and... All of his stuff that isn't Ultimate Spider-Man feels... It all has the same tone. And it all kind of blurs together to me. But there was a certain... Certain something about those Ultimate Spider-Man books that just felt different to me. Now, you bring up Ultimate Spider-Man. <clears throat> Are they ending the Ultimate line? Has it been established yet as to what's going on? I don't know what's happening. It feels like they've been trying to do that for years and years and years. I think I think that's what that's what they're going going toward and since there's already been Ultimate Universe and regular Marvel U crossover, they're probably gonna do a new fifty two and pick and choose the characters they wanna keep. Um Miles Morales I imagine is gonna be a regular Marvel U guy when all said and done. They may be able to fix some of the crazy X Men stuff with some ultimate X-Men guys if they're still left. Yeah. <clears throat> I really like the Spider-Girl, or the Spider-Woman from uh, The Ultimate U, because she was more tied into Peter Parker than it, I do she was Jessica a clone. Drew. She was a clone of Peter yeah. Parker. Jessica Drew is completely 100% separate. Yeah. Um, so much so that I think her even her copyright in, uh, in like, Marvel-owned Spider-Woman in the movies, and there's, like, some weird conspiracy theory... That Jessica Drew will be Spider Woman in an Avengers movie or something, which is she can be. Yeah, she's sexy. I mean, yeah, she is sexy. So no, we have no definitive word on if they're canceling or not. Canceling. I think it's it's time is up. It was the 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 whole reason why they had the Ultimate Universe is to not have have a great jumping point for readers. Uh, and that's, that's gone now. I mean, people have, there, there's 10, 12 years of this line that people would have to go back and read, and that defeats the purpose of the line. I agree. I'm ready for it to go away. I want, I don't want there to be a divide amongst talent and put some on the ultimate books that 
I don't really care about as much. I want everything to kind of be a more cohesive universe and take place in the same universe. That's what I want out of my Marvel. So it's kind of nice to maybe put 100% of your best talent on the regular books. That's what I want. And I well, felt like it was kind of kind of veering that way anyway. That's what they're doing right now. Right? I mean, what what big talent is on an ultimate book that you wish was in the regular you? Well, Sarah Pacelli. She's on Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh yeah, I guess she is now. But it yeah. Is she full time on that book now? Because I know she was splitting it with uh She split Steve it McNiven. with McNiven and then this last issue she split it with someone else whose name I forget. So I, I, I don't know what they're doing. The fact that that book doesn't have a consistent artist steams my beans. <laughs> steams my beans. One of my favorite writers that I didn't mention yet, Brian Wood. Mm. Brian Wood. Woodster. Land the, land the wood. Brian Wood does a lot of what I like in writing. I feel like he does good... Uh, a lot of good distinct characters in a very maybe heavy character book like a lot of different on you know a big ensemble and he's able to kind of give them all their own personalities and let them be identifiable with just his writing i almost feel like you know after one or two issues you could you could take away the pictures and you would know who's talking i feel like he's good at that so he's He's totally up there. And and for me, he's, like, gaining traction. Like, I'm liking him more and more, you know, with his, what he's doing with the X-Men and what he's doing with the Star Wars comic book. And not only that, but how fucking cool is it that Ryan Kelly's drawing Star Wars now? Ryan Kelly's doing a really great job. He's better than the first artist they he's, had. He's much better than the first artist. I didn't particularly care for the first artist. Ryan Kelly, each time out, has been... You know, hooking it up for me. Yeah, Ryan Kelly uh, was drawing um, Saucer Country uh, just this past year. It was a Vertigo title that they had to end up canceling because it wasn't doing well. And I felt like he got such a raw deal because the the guy is so talented. He's such a good artist. And uh, and it, it was so refreshing to see that Ryan Kelly is drawing Star Wars with Brian Wood because these guys have worked together in the past. They they worked on the New York Four and the New York Five, of which I was a huge fan of years ago. And just to see them, these these two talents that I love working on Star Wars, you know, like my favorite brand, that that's really exciting to I don't me. see any difference between Ryan Kelly and Carlos Danda. Makes no difference to me which one of those are on the book. It's same to me. It's you know, n- none of the characters look like the actors. The ships look good. I feel like I feel like, it's, I, it's feel like I should it's thumb much, out your eyes right it's now much since closer. clearly you don't use them. It's not. It's, a, it's an opinion. It's your opinion. It's closer. I like to me. I like to Matt. Danda's. So we win. That's that's oh, good. I, I like hate you. Carlos Danda's Princess Leia. Such a soft high five. It was a non-existent high five. Well, that's an opinion, and you're welcome to it. Yeah, I mean they're both they're both fine. They're both good comic book artists. I mean I'm not gonna rush out to pick up either one of their work, but I mean they didn't change artists and I was suddenly blown away. Ryan Kelly endorsed me on LinkedIn. Did he really? He did. How you are just the you know 
I can't get on LinkedIn. Hero People keep sending stars. me I don't want friend to shit on there, and I don't know how to log in. Do you have a LinkedIn? I must. It, I must have had one at some Pe- point. People can just send you stuff on LinkedIn, and you don't need an account. They can just invite you, and then you would have to create a profile. Yeah, but it's not like Matt or someone I know invite me. It's like people I've worked with years ago. No, I get invited by people all the time. What, what you can do with LinkedIn sometimes is you can, when you're signing up, it'll ask you, do you want us to go through your email contacts and basically send an invite to everybody you've ever oh, fucking so emailed somebody in your did, life? Yeah, so if somebody didn't <clears throat> uncheck that radio button, that's why you're getting that. There you go. So There you go, ladies and gents. Career advice. <laughs> but yeah, I think he endorsed me as an illustrator. And I was like... Well, you're I got a good illustrator. Oh, thanks, but... But he does it. Yeah. I did the uh, the Oaks thing. That was recent. You did do the Oaks thing. A very handsome postcard. And it was recent. Mm-hmm. It was recent. It was recent. We could post pictures and to- of and it. And topical. I have one. I will scan it in and do so. <laughs> I could just email you so you don't have to worry about a digital file and i could send you a really cool picture it's of really it not a worry i'll just scan it in <laughs> i'm being your concern matt, matt doesn't want the quality degraded ah, by I scan see. i see he wants crisp sharp digital That's right. go ahead and do that and i will shrink it down to 72 dpi <laughs> <laughs> this is what matt's <laughs> the upside down <laughs> And grayscale. <laughs> It'll be a photocopy. It'll still be a picture that I took of the screen of the file that you sent me. I have all the pixel pixel lines across it. <clears throat> See what a good artist I am, right, guys? <laughs> Ryan Kelly's a fool. <laughs> I want to have Ryan Kelly on the show. I do. I want to interview him. You have a big interview boner. You want to interview people. Do I have a big interview boner? You do. You've brought it up in Secret McSauce podcast. (laughs) (laughs) But it's okay. You can have interview boner. We have to... We're going to test it out. We're going to have you interview Matt. Or we're going to have Matt interview Dom at some point. And then we'll move it up and we'll have you interview... Ian and I will sit off mic in the corners of the room and just listen. We'll have you interview podcast favorite, Brian Chapinski, and you can interview him. And then... It's going to be a short podcast. <laughs> yep. Nope. <laughs> I don't know. And then we'll have you do... Ryan Kelly, interview him, not do him. We'll get you prepped for it. Get you some practice. Thanks. Don will be your first interviewee. You should probably listen to some fireside chats. Take some pointers from Ryan McCormick, who is a fine, fine interviewer. Excellent interviewer. Maybe you can ha- you can interview him, and he'll interview you. He even makes Ian sound interesting. Oh, how <laughs> dare you! <laughs> No wonder you were voted douchiest. I think Matt would Matt would interview Ryan McCormick, and by halfway through, he would be interviewing Matt. He's that he's that natural. All of a sudden, his penis is in you. Wow! Whoa! That mm-hmm. is I didn't know. I didn't natural. know that's what I interview know, meant. Is that how great <laughs> interviewers roll? That's what I heard. Why do you yeah. think Matt wants to interview Ryan Kelly so bad? 
I don't he's, know, but I think he's gonna listen to this and he's never gonna. But I think I just studio. ruined our chances of ever having the opportunity. <laughs> and by you, you mean Paul? Yeah. Don't vote me douches, and I won't be douchey. I didn't vote. I didn't vote either. Why are you looking at me? I didn't vote. Those are the people. Don't speaking. look at me with that douchey face. Are you rolling oh. a a joint <laughs> over there? <laughs> I was like, I didn't know it was that kind of podcast, son. <laughs> that looks so unnatural. <laughs> that looks, I didn't know I was going to say, what the fuck. It's just a napkin. I think we're done here. Unless I anybody think we has, are done. Unless anybody has anything to <laughs> add to this debacle. and talking about Bone and Ryan Kelly. Sorry, sir. Yeah, I, uh, I think we can wrap this guy up tonight. I'd like to give an honorable mention to Jeff Loeb who's been in the biz a long time and who's written a lot of books that I enjoy. I thought you were going to say, who's been in the bizzle? Nope, nope, just been in the biz. Writing comic books. Any other quick honorable mentions? Honorable mention, Joss Whedon. Ast- astonishing X-Men. Mm. Buffy the Vampire Slayer series. Oh, Matt? Mm. Nope, you hate everything. Yeah, Nobody, nobody's leaping to mind that we didn't already talk about. That'll do it for tonight. I'm Paul McGinty. Ian Sharpley. I'm Matt Casale. See ya.